Welcome back to Bible Love. We are in the third week of Advent, as we have been doing each week. Um, we're praying the collect, and then we will jump in to Job. So let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. 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 Well, listeners, our favorite is here, Dr. Tony Hopkins, who we love so much. And Tony, I honestly, I'm not just saying this to you. Every time you get on, someone calls me and says, oh, my gosh, I learned so much. I didn't know that. And it's not just it's not just the learning, Tony. It's sort of the way that you present it in a way that we people that don't have big old brains can understand. And I really, really appreciate that. So Job is tough and we've got some interesting folks that are on. Yeah, Yeah, some deep water. We've got some interesting folks that are going to be with us over the next couple of weeks. Um, But we, of course, thought it was essential to start out. And you have also, as you always do, put together sort of a great two-page sort of reflection. And I know Alan will link that. Um, So take it away, Tony. Talk to us about Job. Well, thanks. Great to see you guys. Happy Advent. Um, come, Lord Jesus. We're, we're looking forward to Christmas. Yeah. Job, Job is part of the wisdom literature in, in the Old Testament. There's a lot we don't know about it. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. But, boy, we know that it has had such a profound impact on Judaism and, and Christianity And maybe more than other books, before we start talking about Job, we need to do just a little bit of theological background. We have talked a number of times on the podcast about what I call reward and retribution theology. This is the theological perspective introduced in the book of Deuteronomy and then carried through all of those historical narratives from Deuteronomy through Kings. But it says... If we are righteous and obedient, God will bless us with rewards in this life. And if we are unrighteous and disobedient, God will punish us in this life. And this is really the dominant theological perspective of the Hebrew people for centuries. And with Job now, for the first time in our journey through the Bible, we are encountering a serious challenge to this theological perspective. So to try to give an analogy about how important Job is, uh, think about when the early church started to say, I know that for centuries we've said salvation is through the law, but we now understand that salvation is through Jesus Christ. There's no way to overstate the shock of that, the significance of that, 
This is kind of analogous to that, to, to now seriously call into question what has been the dominant theology of a people for centuries. There are two stories of Job. There are lots of stories in the Bible that we have multiple versions of. We have four Gospels. There are two stories of Job. They're easy to identify when you look at the text because the first two chapters and the last half of the last chapter are written in prose. And that's one story. And then I think an editor said, we haven't explored the middle part of the story enough. So he cut the earlier story in half, made two pieces of bread, and then sandwiched in between them this magnificent epic poem. And so there are- Tony, let me interrupt you. Yeah, I, sure, I'm sure. so glad you said that because I think that is super helpful. I did not really understand that until I got your notes because I was like, I'm getting jumbled up here. I don't, yes. I don't quite understand what's happening. And so to understand that the editors like made this choice is I think like a point we really need to hammer home. Um, And so if you're getting confused reading Joe, Mary Balfour's with you. You're you're not the only one. And this is sort of what happened. Yeah. This, and this really helps because the text as we have it is a little confusing. So Mm -hmm. helps to kind of understand that. And I'm going to say, even though I love dealing with the text as we have it, I'm going to say it'll be more helpful for us as an introduction to talk about the prose story and then to talk about the epic poem. So here's the prose story. There's a man named Job, upright, blameless, offers sacrifices to God every day. So number one, he's very righteous. And number two, he's very prosperous. He has seven sons, three daughters, 11,000 animals, sheep, oxen, donkey. I mean, you know, uh, lots of servants. And so you're introduced to this prosperous man in scene one, and then scene two shifts to heaven, where it has convened the heavenly council. And we meet a little-known character in the Hebrew Bible called the Satan. Let me be very clear that the Satan in the book of Job is not Satan or devil in the New Testament. That's Mm -hmm. that's a completely different thing that we'll have to talk about another day. But in the Hebrew Bible, there is this sense that God has a council, a cabinet, and the Satan's job is to wander to and fro on the earth, observing uh, human beings. And then he comes back and reports, particularly about the ones who aren't doing very well. So the Satan means the accuser or the adversary, because this is his role to come back and report to God those who are not living the way God would want. So God says to the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You come in here every day and tell me about all these people who aren't doing well. Here's a guy who's doing it well. And the Satan says, well, of course he's obedient to you. Look how you blessed him. You've given him everything. And if he weren't so prosperous, he would curse you to your face. It's a challenge to God. And so God now, in degrees, is going to allow the Satan to test his hypothesis. First, he allows the Satan to take away all of Job's wealth and anguishingly all of his children. 
So he loses everything, the Satan thinking that he is now going to curse God. But Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So the next step is, Satan says, well, health is what really matters. He still has his health. If he didn't have his health, he would curse you. So God allows the Satan to inflict Job with these terrible sores head to foot. But again, Job says, shall we receive the good from the hand of the Lord and not receive the bad? And this, by the way, is the climactic moment in the story that the editors choose to insert the poem. And we'll come back to that. But in the original story, Job answers that question by his actions, by his faithfulness, by his continuing to bless God. And in response, at the end of chapter 42, God does everything for Job. He brings in friends to comfort him. Uh, he, he helps him with his grief. Uh, he has 10 more children. God restores all his wealth. So we can quickly see the prose story affirms reward and retribution. Because Job continued to be faithful, God prospers him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we might miss that sometimes because yes. you hear that like, Oh, you're being an old Job or whatever. I tried to come up with that joke last week, didn't I, Alan? Like what, you know, people misuse that. And Mm -hmm. I think we forget the redemption that's there as well. So, so if you say, all right, what is the pro story really about? It's about human motivation. Why do people obey God? And the Satan says only for what they can get out of it. And Job disproves that. So the prose story is a vindication of humanity by showing us a person who goes through the worst possible circumstances but still praises God just because God is worthy of praise. My faith in God is not contingent on my circumstances. So that's a wonderful lesson in and of itself. I mean, say it for the people in the back. I mean, that is (laughs) like, right? My faith in God is not contingent. I mean, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started recording in the fact that the little town that Tony and I live in, there's just been a super amount of death. Alan is dealing with that in his own parish. And we just so easily just want to go, Oh my gosh, you know, what's happening and be mad at God, which I think is okay too, you know, and God can take that. But I appreciate Job's view of that, you know, like it's, it's not all, there is a lot of faith that has to stand and be there. And I feel sorry for the people that don't have that. The joke of the prose story is a paradigm of trust in God. And I think it not unfair to compare Job's trust in the prose story to Jesus trust in Gethsemane. Mm. However, these circumstances play out. I trust in you and your goodness. So here's my takeaway from the pro story. Meanwhile, somebody or somebody's said, well, that's great that Job vindicates humanity, but what is, what is really God's role in all of this? And at this wonderful moment, the question, shall we receive the good from the hand of God and not also receive the bad? 
That's, that's an important question. And so the writer of the epic poem or the editor who puts the book in the form that we have, it says, oh, this is the moment to hunker down. Let's dig in. Let's explore that question. So we get this beautiful, long, complex, epic poem that's going to discuss what does come from the hand of God and is it fair? So the poem beautifully makes this subtle shift from a question about human nature, why do people obey God, to a question about God's nature. Is God fair? Is God the cause of my pain or my suffering? So the poem is very structured. There are three cycles in which Job will speak, and then each of his friends in turn Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar will speak. And the friends are, they're company people, reward and retribution. If, if something bad is happening in your life, then, then you're being punished for something bad that you did. And Job, in the epic poem, Job begins with not only his awareness of his own innocence, but he says, I'm not the only one. Look around. You don't have to look very far to see a lot of righteous people who are suffering. And as Mary Balfour said, we're experiencing that in Greenwood right now. And you don't have to look very far to see a lot of wicked people are prospering. So the epic poem is going to say, does reward and retribution theology hold up? Job constantly saying it does not, and his friends constantly saying it does. I have to stop there and ask okay, the two good. of y'all in your ministry. Do you get that question? Talk. Do you have like, a, cause I do like, why are there, you know, people that are addicted to drugs and have done all these bad things and they're alive, but you know, a 50 year old gets pancreatic cancer. Who's done nothing but help their community. Do y'all have those experiences? And so we all say, Job's right. My, my empirical observation leads me to the same conclusion that Job's led him to. I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to see that there are plenty of righteous people suffering and plenty of wicked people prospering. Yeah. What about you, Alan? Do you have yeah. that? I mean, you see it. Y'all mentioned before, like, kids who get sick, right? Like, why on earth would God allow that? I have no answer, right? That's when I'm most confronted. So I did my CPE at the NIH Clinical Center, and I was the pediatric chaplain intern there. Literally every day, kids who are like one of 10 people in the world that have whatever, and their parents are like, why? Like, there's no answer to this, like literally. Um, Because then you see, you know, despots and dictators who live to be 90. Right. But some little kid at six, it's right. And so I keep hearing in this, um, the facts of life theme song, right? You take the good, you take the bad, <laughs> you take them both. And there you have the facts of life. Right? Like there's no rhyme Love or reason it. to any of it. We try to make sense of it. Job tried to make sense of it. His friends did. You can't. I love, I love that you're bringing in the facts of life. A little Tootie, a little Joe. I can't remember the rest of them's names, but that was awesome. 
Good for you. All right, Tony. Keep going. Tell us some more. So, so, I mean, like we're talking about, everybody's interested in this question because of things that have happened in our lives or things that have happened in the lives of people we love. And so the writer of this poem hunkers down and, and really explores this thing from a lot of angles. And part of the point of this very long epic poem is that this question is too complex to be reduced to a simple summary. Mm. So acknowledging that, but in an effort to be helpful, and because we have a time limit on the podcast, I am nonetheless going to try to give four categories that provide a summary or a framework to say here are the things that that Job expresses. Number one is personal lament. Our first experience of pain is not philosophical. It's not theological. It is emotional. Job is in such deep pain that he curses the day of his birth. He says it would have been better if I hadn't been born. And this is another thing that we have heard and maybe said ourselves. And so people in deep pain relate to Job on that, on that level. Second, Job does have not only an experience of his own pain, but he continues to insist that I'm not the only one. There are lots of righteous people who are suffering, and there are lots of wicked people who are prospering. Third, Job offers a rebuke of easy piety. Job's friends are giving pat answers, and they were the widely accepted answers. It's easy to say, if you are suffering, that means you've sinned and you're being punished. That's simple. You can hold to that, and nobody can disprove it. But Job will not keep bombarding Job with this same reward and retribution theology, theology, and in all of his pain, Job stands his ground. And then the other thing that we all relate to is Job wants answers. If if God would just show up, I'll 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 bring on the questions and we'll hammer this thing out. I mean it's a it's brash. Pain will make you that way. Um although I think in the end Job discovers that what he wanted or needed more than answers from God was an encounter with God. Yes. Uh, he wants God to show up. God does. But instead of giving Job answers, God bombards Job with questions. But in the end, still that encounter completely changes Job's experience. Yeah. And that's the climax of the books, the Yahweh speeches. I mean, Job, Job has made a case that every one of us who have experienced deep pain relate to. If I'm reading the book of Job for the first time, I'm on Job's side. And, and when God shows up, I'm going to be right there at Job's back saying, get him, Job, get him. God shows up, speaks to Job from the whirlwind and says, okay, you've had your turn. <laughs> now it's mine. Gird your loins like a man, and I will question you, and you will declare to me. 
And I think that encountering God is just like, again, say it for the people in the back, like so, so, so important, you know. And, and uh, the interesting thing. It's the basis sorry, of our faith. It's the basis of our faith, right? I mean, it's the basis of who we are is the thing intellectually we want to do is question God, but really at the heart of the matter and, 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 and it's okay again to do that, but at the heart of the matter, it's where are we encountering God? My friend, Martin Darby always talks about what is your divine purpose? Where are you feeling God? Where are you experiencing God? And I think this is exactly what happened with Jeff. So agree completely, but maybe what's surprising to the reader is God, the God who shows up is not warm and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. This God doesn't coddle Job or cuddle Job and say, ah, there, there. He says, when I created the heavens and the earth, where were you? Right. Can you bring the snow down from the clouds? Did you after all of these magnificent creatures that that populate the earth. And God speaks not only of the natural creatures, but the supernatural creatures, Leviathan and Behemoth. Y'all can dig in on that when you get to those texts. But, but interestingly, God's response at the risk of oversimplifying is, is twofold. Job, remember who you are and remember who I am. You are Job and I'm God. But Job, God also says to Job, I'm listening. Your questions are not wrong. They're not unfair. And so Job Job backs down. He says, I don't have anything else to say. (laughs) I've said enough. Um, And then my favorite part of the story, because you can imagine that the, the friends are now feeling a little vindicated. Aha, we've been against Job and all this, and so is God. Then God turns to the friends and says, you guys are completely wrong. And if you want to have some hope, uh, you better have Job pray for you. (laughs) So Job doesn't, even though Job says, hey, I now remember that God is God and I'm not. He never recants his claims of being innocent. He never recants uh, that reward and retribution theology is false. And in both of those things, the Job of the epic poem is vindicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That's a lot, but good. It's a lot. And, but it I, lot. It's a lot but historically, but it also is a lot of like human nature and human feelings and what people are like and how they respond to things. And just like a great, Example of how to really be, I think, you know, maybe being a Job is not a bad thing. Maybe that's well, certainly, certainly Job, because we all experience deep pain. We identify with Job and hopefully it is of some help to us to number one, say God is big enough to take my questions and even my anger. That may be most important lesson of the book of Job from a faith or discipleship perspective. People people say to me, I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. You know, I, I don't even want to talk to God. And, and Jesus is helpful at this point. Jesus said, God loves us like daughters and sons. 
When your sons and daughters are angry at you, do you stop loving them? No. Um, Even if they speak angrily to you, do you stop loving them? No. Well, the first place we learn that in the Hebrew Bible is the book of Job. So God can take it. Let God have it. It's fine. But hopefully in whatever encounter you have with God, you can say, as painful as this has been, I will choose to trust in God. And and as as I've said so many times, I so admire Job's faith. It was harder for him. We're on this side of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that really helps us say we can trust in the goodness of God. So I have a challenge for us and for our listeners. This just kind of came to me in a time where like Christmas, I usually do a blue Christmas service. I'm not doing it this year just because I don't have time, but I know that like Christmas can be tough for people, but I wonder if we can think about where we encounter God. And if we've already had that in just in every day, that might be just like a good, like last week of Advent type of thing. And even if the encountering is hard, even if it's, you know, like one thing I do a lot is when people come up for communion and I know that there's something going on in their life, I pray for them like right there and put my hands on them and, and all of that. And a lot of times I get tears and later they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, you're encountering God. There's nothing to be sorry about. You're encountering God in that moment. And that's wonderful, even if they're tears or sadness or whatever. So maybe the three of us can try to find that today and and other days. I don't know. What do y'all think? And then try to push other people. Where are we encountering God in the good and the things that maybe are upsetting or sad or make us angry? What do y'all think? I mean, the, to me, that's the theme I'm going with for my Christmas sermons is like, this is the moment that we encounter God like, physically in whatever way. And I have a whole deal, you know, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but like I encounter God's incarnation at this stupid concert that I mm-hmm. flew across the country to go see. It's not on Christmas Eve because I'm busy, but what are those times that we encounter God? I've also had it when there's tragedy in my life, right? You encounter mm-hmm. God when life sucks. Mm-hmm. You just have to be open to to seeing it. Yeah, for sure. Tony, how are you going to encounter God? I, you know, I, I connect everything to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Job, Job in a very real way, in a way unlike, I think, anything else in the Hebrew Bible, with the exception of Deuteronomy, we'll get to talk about that eventually. But these are the two writers. The writer of the epic poem and Deutero Isaiah are the two people who really set the stage for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, again, on this side of Jesus, encountering God is a whole lot easier. But I, but I think about, you know, talking about this deep pain in Romans 8 where Paul says, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to talk to God. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit takes all of those jumbled up emotions that we have and in groanings too deep for words, the Holy Spirit carries to the heart of God, the prayer that we weren't able to articulate. Yeah. Um, And so again, 
as, as powerful as Job is on this side of Jesus, the ways that we get to encounter God are even more, even more amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that too a lot. Cause like when I am working with people or talking with them after deaths and stuff, you know, I think our initial response is to take that pain away and maybe looking more at that as a moment of encountering God, even in our deep pain, even in our deep suffering. I mean, I've said this many times, I'm a fixer. I don't want anyone to be hurting. I don't want anyone to be sad. But sometimes that is the moment when we're encountering God. And that's why it's sad or that's why it hurts is because we have this relationship with God that's so deep and powerful and it hurts sometimes. You know? And that's very well said. I think a lot of us in ministry are fixers. We want to help people in their pain. But the lesson we learn from the friends is when you're too quick to try to explain it, give an answer for it, it just comes off as trite. Yeah. And, or we know it all, you know. And I glossed don't. over this, but, but when the friends first come to Job, for seven days, they sit with him in silence. If they leave at the end of that seven days, they are the heroes of this story. But then they can't resist saying, let's theologize a little. Let me explain this for you. Let me help right. with this. So there's yeah. a warning there. There's a warning there. Yeah, but maybe just sit with the person. Yes. Just sit. Yes. Presence. Well, our, our time has come to an end. Um, as always, Tony, we are just beyond grateful for who you are and the way you love God and the way you explain your love for God in this very powerful way. We encourage you to encounter God in whatever way you can, in whatever way you feel, um, and know that's good. And as always, listeners, remember, we love you, but most importantly, God does.